When we think about relationships, we have to think about God, right? You just have to think about God. The reason why you have to think about him is because he's the one that created everything. Now, I was reading a book by uh, John Frame, Systematic Theology by John Frame, which is really, it sounds boring to a lot of you, but it's actually quite interesting. And he actually made the comment that uh, in our world, if you believe in evolution and that God doesn't exist, everything that's personal ultimately boils down to non-personal. All right? It boils down to non-personal nothingness, vacuum, gases, inert substances. All right? That's what the personal boils down to. So you're having all these wonderful relationships with your, your wife or your husband or your friends, your family, and evolution saying, look, there actually isn't anything ultimately personal about that. It all boils down to not personal. All right? Christianity is the opposite of that. Anything that you find out there that looks not personal always boils down to personal. That's how it works because it boils down to the person and the nature of God and God is intensely personal. So you could walk along and you could find a block of wood, all right? Or one of these, right? And you could go, that thing is not personal. True? But then you would read... uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 20 which says that everything that has been made reflects the character and the nature of God and you'd go oh right it just looks non-personal it actually is personal because everything that exists every created thing reflects who God is what's the bottom line everything that looks non-personal in Christianity boils down to personal everything everything so God is this intensely personal person Now, when you think about what a person is, that's a good question, right? What is a person? Massive debates through history about what a person is and what personhood is. Let me give you some categories that I think describe what a person is. A person is someone who has emotions. Some of you go, oh, that's what's wrong with my friend. Uh, They don't have any. Uh, Emotions are part of being a person. The way that people think and make decisions is kind of a category of personhood. What people love, what they're into, what kind of gets them going is, um, is part of someone's personhood. You know, people can have particular personalities uh, that reflect something of who they are as a person. Um, people who are, here we go, this is really bad grammar, right? People who are persons can choose things that they want to do. I think that's a category of personhood and they can choose what they are going to say and they can choose how to say it. Now, when you look at God, the whole way through theological history, I would argue, or pretty much the whole way through, he's been spoken of as a person, right? He does a lot of those things. He has a lot of those categories. But you know what the spin-out thing is about God is not only is God a person, right, but God is three persons in one which is the trinity okay father son holy spirit three persons one god that's how it works and if you can explain it i'd like to hear it okay because it just stretches us goes beyond what we can understand so you know what that actually means is that god is not just a person god is interpersonal as well within his person Do you get that so he relates to himself 
So the Father relates to the Son, who relates to the Spirit, who relates to the Father, and they all kind of do relationship with each other. They, they really dig each other, and they, um, they really they love serving each other, and they just get on like super, super well. This is the thing, this is the atomic centre, I should say, of uh, the whole universe, is this person of God who's interpersonal, which is good news because a God who has got personal characteristics like they're loving or they're compassionate, if, they, if they're not fulfilled in and of themselves, they actually need something else to be fulfilled. So if, if God was one and didn't have three persons in the one, but was just one and you said he was loving, then all of a sudden he needs something to love. Does that make sense? And that makes him a bit pathetic. <laughs> just a little he needs something to love he's got to create something otherwise he can't be fulfilled in and of himself God is totally fulfilled in and of himself intensely personal and interpersonal now let me tell you something else about God God likes to make himself known he likes people to know who he is and the word that you could use for this is that God is a self-revealer he tells people about himself can you um this is where we're going to start using the bible so can you go to romans chapter 1 verse 20 romans chapter 1 verse 20 i mentioned this one before if you if you don't have a bible it'd be good for you to make friends with someone near you who does because we're going to go to a whole bunch of different scriptures today mentioned this one before. Does someone, uh, someone with a big voice want to stand up and read Romans 1 verse 20? It's going to be a little, diff- little different today, so. Okay, so when you're lying in bed in the morning and the, it's just before the sun comes up and you can hear the birds starting to sing, they're telling you something about God. That's what they're doing. And God's built it that way. He's actually made creation in a way that you get to know who he is by looking at creation. Okay? He is a self-revealer. So God makes himself known. There's lots of different ways that God makes himself known. One way is through what he creates. Another way is by how he acts. So go to Exodus chapter 7, verse 5. This is Moses and Aaron go to uh, Pharaoh in Egypt to uh, get the uh, Israelites out. This is God speaking in uh, Exodus 7, verse 5. Okay, now, God's going to make himself known in a kind of generic, kind of the same way that you know Scott Morrison kind of way to everyone, okay? And he's interested in doing that. There's kind of a general kind of knowledge of God that he's wanting to get out there and the way that he's actually going to do it here is by acting he's going to act and he's going to do something and people are going to know stuff about him but what I actually want to do is I want to push a little bit further into this idea that God's a self-revealer because I think God's self-revelation is a function of his personhood okay Um, when God reveals himself to people he's ultimately not just wanting to give them a newspaper version of who he is he's actually inviting them to know him and do relationship with him it's about knowing him personally 
And so what you actually see in the scriptures, I think, is you see God on lots of occasions saying, this is who I am to everyone. But then there's this opportunity for you to go, oh, now I could actually really get to know him right now. Because you can say all you want about what you know about Scott Morrison. But if you came up to me this morning and you said, Scott Morrison, I, oh, look, we're, we're like that, right? They're really tight. And, uh, and I said, okay, prove it. Uh, when did you die seen? And he said, well, I've never seen him. I never had a meal with him, never had a coffee with him, nothing. Actually, we've never even talked, right? I'd say to you, well, you kind of know him, but you don't really know him. Like, there's a knowing of him that's much more intimate and personal than knowing about someone. And I think that's what we actually see in the Scriptures, is that God says a whole bunch of things about himself, and it's kind of general knowledge about God, but then there's this, well, you could actually really know who he is, really deeply. And I think, this is my... Uh, this is my point here, is that if you're a person and you want to do a relationship with someone else, you actually have to go public with that person about who you are. That's what you have to do, who you really are. And have that other person go public with you about who they are and the two of you interact. Can you go to Exodus chapter 33? Okay, so another way of saying this is that Moses and God were really tight. All right? They're really tight. This, this doesn't really get said very much in the whole Bible that God speaks to someone as he would to a friend. This is unusual. It's certainly unusual in the Old Testament. Very, very unusual. But what, what we see is something that's quite fascinating, right? Go down to Exodus 34. And I, I just want someone to read verse 5 to 7. What's fascinating about this is uh, Moses and God have got this tight relationship and Moses says to God, I want to know more about you. Can you show me your glory? And then this happens in the very next chapter in Exodus 34, verse 5 to 7. Can someone read that for me? Okay, can you stop there for a sec, Lee? Now, when you, when you hear in the Old Testament the name of the Lord, you've got to think, this is his character, this is who he is right? Someone's name was connected to who they were. So when you see in Exodus 34, the scripture there says uh, that uh, God proclaimed his name, what's he doing? He's actually telling Moses who he is, what his character is, what's important to him. He's revealing who God is to Moses. Sorry, keep going, Lee. Now, I, I think up until this point in the Bible, there is nothing that comes close to the kind of self-revelation that we see here with Moses, right? And, and you just need to note at this point in time that Moses and God are like crazy tight because that's relevant. That's relevant to God's disclosure of who he is, all right? Go across to uh, Psalm 25. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? All right? Now, other translations, instead of friendship, say things like this, secret counsel, the secret counsel of the Lord, or the Lord confides in those who fear him. Now, when you see fear, it's not like terror, fear. This is respect, honour and all kind of fear. That's what this is, right? And it's like you respect and you honour and, you and you're in awe before God and you treasure who He is. What does He do? Well, He tells you some more secrets. <laughs> he tells you secrets about who He is. And I think that this is actually what you see with Moses in Exodus 34, is that Moses respects, honours, is in awe of God 
and treasures and values him. And what does God do? Well, he tells him some more secrets. So let me tell you what I'm like. Let me tell you some more stuff about what I'm like. And God's going public with who he is as a person is an invitation to actually know him and do relationship with him. Is everyone with me so far? Now, this personal self-revealing God is incessantly self-revealing. Very, very personal. He made people just like him. That's what he did. Go to Genesis chapter 1. Okay. Um, Let me just nail down a few things really quickly. You've heard me talk about this before. The image of God is a little difficult to get a grasp on because the Old Testament actually doesn't tell you what it is. But here's a couple of pieces of low-hanging fruit. And here's the first one. The word for image there is the Hebrew word selam. All right? And it's actually translated in other parts of the Old Testament as idol. That's what it's translated as, right? Which should make you just go, eh, that's interesting. And the reason why it's translated idol in other parts of the Old Testament, there's a, uh, an expert on this one, uh, his name's Middleton, who uh, suggests that back in the Near East, what actually used to happen is that um, rulers would set up images or idols of themselves in different parts of the uh, nation, or, or their empire as representatives of his rule and authority in places where they weren't present. That's what they would do. And it looks like this is what God's doing, is he's setting up humanity, he's setting up people to be local representations of God and his rule in the world. Okay? If you uh, look at verse 27 there, you can see another part that seems to be either the image of God or closely connected to it is that God made humanity male and female which is interesting, right? Like that's, there's a relationality that's connected to that one as well. Go across to uh, Genesis 5. Now this one's a bit of a heads up for us too, Genesis chapter 5, because it actually uses similar terminology to what we see in Genesis chapter 1. And so it gives us a bit of a heads up about uh, what the image of God uh, likely is so verse 3 can someone someone read genesis 5 verse 3 for me excellent so being made in god's image it seems it appears is about being family it's about being family it's about being related so one of the things i think that we can uh, pull out of being uh, made in god's image is that we're relational by nature and the, the scriptures are very clear about the fact that humans worship all of the time. And another word in the Old Testament that you could kind of swap in for the word worship is love. Humans unceasingly love something as the most precious thing in their life. Minute by minute, second by second, that's just how it rolls. We are lovers. That's what we are. And we always latch on to something that is the central, divine kind of ruling kind of power in our life. We get our identity from that. We get lots of things from it. And we serve it, whatever it is. You could make it chocolate, right? Some people make it chocolate. Some people make it shopping. Some people make it drugs. They make that the controlling center and they put those things in the divine space that God actually belongs in. But in all of those things, you can see people give themselves in relationship to whatever it is 
that they worship, they love it. So what we actually see for humans is that the way that God's designed it is your relationality is the portal, the pipe through which good stuff should come. All right? It's the pipe between you and God where good things come to you and it's also meant to be the pipe between you and other people from which good things actually come. But who knows that the same pipe pipes in fresh water as well as uh, dirty water. Does anyone know that? When it comes to relationality, it just does, right? It just pipes all sorts of stuff in. So go across to uh, James chapter 3. James chapter 3 and verse 9 says exactly this. And speaking uh, specifically about the tongue and the things that people say, does someone want to read James 3 verse 9? You go down to verse 10 there, it says, Out of the same mouth come praising and cursing, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. All right? You can see that with the things that people say. Like you have a mouth, everyone has a mouth, and people say things, and sometimes people can say things that are really helpful, and sometimes people can say things that are really unhelpful. And really, uh, saying things to each other... Look, it happens in the context of relationships. And so sometimes, relationally, you're going to get stuff piped in that's really helpful to you. And sometimes there's stuff that's going to get piped in and it's like, I didn't order that. Can I return it? I haven't got a receipt. Just take it back. All right? I don't want it anymore. Just get rid of it. It's not cool. But here's... We'll just get to some more of that in a minute. Here's, here's kind of the big idea so far, uh, which I want you to get a hold of. The way that you actually do relationship is you self-reveal. You go public about yourself. You don't have to go public about everything. You just go public and you be personal about things that matter to you and about who you are. That's what God does. And when God does it, it's an invitation for you to know Him and for you to be personal with Him. Come with me to Psalm 62. Yeah. What's God inviting us to do? Self-reveal. <laughs> Self-reveal. Why? Because that's how you do relationship. You tell someone about yourself and they tell you about them and you intermingle with them and you do relationship and you love them in the middle of that. And the more you reveal yourself, the deeper the relationship goes. Now, I'm sure at the end of church on most Sundays, uh, people have superficial conversations, all right? Small talk. And there's nothing wrong with small talk unless it's all that you ever do. Because if all you ever do is have superficial small talk conversations, you won't ever have deep relationships. Why? Because you have to go public about some of the stuff inside of you that other people are not going to see to do relationship with them. Okay? If all you ever do is talk about the football, you will have a very shallow friendship with someone else. If you only ever talk about the superficial with your spouse, you will have a very shallow relationship with them. But here's the kicker. Who knows that going public about yourself is dangerous? <laughs> it is, right? It's very, very dangerous, right? Because we know that if we open up the tap on that pipe, well, we don't know what's going to come through it. If I open up the tap of relationality, I know that it's going to be a mixed bag sometimes. We get hurt. We get depersonalized by our own sins. We get depersonalized by other people's sins. 
we put ourselves out there and it just gets stomped on or walked past. Sometimes that's the worst, that you just get ignored and not even noticed as a person. We get messed up by our own shame and we do what Adam and Eve did in Genesis chapter 3 at at the fall and we just kind of cover up and we just go, I'm not going to let anyone know know who I am because I'm not acceptable. I can't let them know that. And we say things like, I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to go public about anything to do with me again because last time it actually got stomped on. People walked past me, they mistreated me, they ignored me and they treated me as if I didn't exist. So I'm going to turn all the taps off and sometimes we can even feel that about God. It's like I'm just going to turn that tap off too because he didn't handle me properly either. What then? (laughs) You can do that. You can turn all the relational taps off and no one can know you, but what then? You know, if God made you to be relational by nature, you're just going to malfunction. You can't function fully and properly as a human being in a non-relational space because you weren't made to be in a non-relational space. You are made to know and to be known. Now, let me give you some hope. All right? If, we, if I just use a metaphor of pipes coming into your life, right? I just want to say to you that the, pipe, the, the, the diameter of the pipe that comes from God to you vertically is like way bigger then the pipe's coming in horizontally. <laughs> and that's actually good news, right? God will help you through relationships with other people, but you just need to know that this is, it's like it's a five-metre pipe coming in from God and about 100 mils coming in from the sides, all right? Why do I know that? Well, I know that. Go down to, we're just in uh, Psalm 62. Go down to Psalm 63, Someone want to read verse 3 of Psalm 63. So in the Hebrew, this says the pipe coming from God is a really wide, big pipe, all right? And it's such a big pipe that I could die and I'd be okay. It doesn't say that in Hebrew, but you know what I'm saying, right? That, that's, that's a whacking great big pipe. Your steadfast love is such a crazy big pipe, pipe and goodness into me, because of your love to me, I could lose everything else, including life itself, and I'd be all good. You see, we engage in things that shut us off personally and relationally from other people, and it's actually our connection with God that makes us richly personal and richly relational. Come with me to Psalm 115. It's a bit longer one, but I'd love for uh, someone to read verse 4 to 8. So we're in a bind, right? We, um, we hide ourselves from each other. We, um, we don't be personal or relational for so many different reasons. And we worship 
things that aren't God. We worship idols. And whenever you do that, do you know what happens? Personal and relational, the personal and relational side of you. I don't have time to go into the uh, theological argument here, but it switches off. If you look at those categories there, most of those categories are personal, relational categories, like talking, seeing, hearing, touching. They're, re- they're relational categories, and it just switches off. That's just how it rolls, all right? Now, on the other hand, <laughs> it's connecting with God that makes you richly personal and richly relational. So what are we to do? Because we know from Romans 3 that by nature... In the sinful nature, no human actually wants God. What are we to do? Well, let me give you some more good news. The good news is that history tells the story of a God who keeps reaching out to us by revealing himself to us. That's what he does and inviting us into relationship and loving us. Go to John chapter 1. You know, I, th- I think you see over and over in the Old Testament God's revelation of himself and the invitation for his people to be in relationship with him. Sometimes he reveals himself like uh, to the Egyptians. It's like, I'm letting you know who I am because I'm coming after you, right? But there's a lot of it that is him inviting us into relationship with him. John chapter 1, verse 14. Someone want to read that? There is no better example of gritty public self-revelation of who God is than incarnating in the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? That is God on display in a, in a vulnerable way, really, isn't it? In a vulnerable way. Go across to Hebrews chapter 1. Yeah, do you see that? God went public in a way previously unseen in the person of Christ. And, and so, I mean, think about some of our favourite stories, the prodigal son. Um, John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John chapter 1, uh, God gave the right for people to become children of God. So God goes public and he reveals himself in the most stunning way, doesn't he? In the person of Christ and he says, this is who I am and I love you. Come and be connected to me. Come and have a relationship with me and know me. That's what he says. Now, what, what is, what's one of the greatest fears of putting yourself out there publicly? Is not the greatest fear of putting yourself out there publicly that people would trash you, make fun of you and otherwise ignore you and just walk past you? Isn't that one of the greatest fears? I mean, that's one of our greatest fears. Like, we just wouldn't put ourselves out there publicly sometimes because it's like, I don't even know what you're going to do. Go to uh, Isaiah 53. This is written 800 years before Jesus came on the scene. Just need someone to read uh, Isaiah 53, verse 3, 3 to 6. 
This is a prophecy 800 years beforehand about Jesus. Someone like to read it for me? Go back to verse 3. You just feel how gritty that is. He, now God's God, right? And he's going to be okay. But you know what he's done is he's gone and he's put himself out there. And what did we do to him? Well, we did the thing that we fear the most when we think about going public with who we are. We despised him. We rejected him. Like, look at the second half of that. Like one from whom people hide their faces. How would you go with that? Like if you went public about something going on inside of you and you even told your wife or your husband or a close friend and they just went, you are just a shameful individual and I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'm just, I don't even want to hear it. And they, they just leave your house. That's what we did, right? We just hid our face from him. We despised him. But even in this moment of our despising him, where we're executing him on the cross, Jesus is so powerfully personal and relational, he still stays warm to humanity, even in the midst of that. Go to Luke 23. All right, so there's some kind of two-up going on, and they're gambling for his clothes, while he's hanging on a cross, bleeding to death. And what's he doing? Staying warm and personal and reaching out. Isn't that phenomenal? The one who is despised and rejected, the one from whom we've hid our faces, stays warm and personal and reaches out to people. You know, I was thinking about the, um, <laughs> the thief on the cross that repented. You know, this morning, I just thought, that is phenomenal, right? The tender care of Jesus in the midst of execution. Jesus is able to love people in the middle of a desert. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. And you know what? He would have said the same thing to you if you were there and you were the one gambling. Because he did say it. He said it to all of humanity. Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. So if Jesus can do that, Jesus is not meant to be some kind of benchmark that it's like, oh, we'll never reach that. Jesus is the true human. That's the kind of thing that God would want to do in you is that you could actually get in the middle of a desert, particularly husbands and wives, man. I mean, you'd... There are deserts in marriage. Anyone know what I'm talking about? It's like, I'm not getting what I need. I'm not getting the nourishment and the sustenance that I need. How am I going to love in the middle of this desert? Well, you know what? You get connected to Jesus and he makes you richly relational and gives you the power to do what he did. It's not like this unattainable goal that's out there. It's, it's he helps us to do what he did. When people are hard to love, when you're not getting what you need. Being loved by Jesus makes you loving. You hear that? And if, if, if you're finding it really hard to be loving, 
you probably just need to get to know Jesus a bit more relationally and, and know that you're loved a bit more. You're just going to need, it's like, let's get that pipe going, right? I'm going to turn that tap right on and I'm going to get as much steadfast love from God as I possibly can because that's going to make me a loving person. Go to 1 John 4 verse 7. Someone want to read 1 John 4 verse 7 and 8. We're coming around the last bend in the message, all right? 1 John 4 verse 7 and 8. Someone want to read that? Pretty amazing, isn't it? So I know him. You will, you will be a loving person if you know God. You just will. That's just how it works. So the question that I want, to, uh, want us to finish on is, uh, do you know God? And, and not do you know about God, do you know him? Does he tell you secrets? Do you treasure and, and kind of fear him? Excuse me, I'm just going to need tissue. I've got speaker's nose going on, going on again. Can someone just bring me tissue from up the back? Thanks, apologies for this. Just goes to show that uh, everyone's human. Do you know God? Are you loved by Him? All right, here's a good one. Do you know that you're loved by Him? Ephesians 3.19 is in the middle of a prayer that Paul prays and he prays in it about the love of God, about people knowing the love of God that surpasses knowledge. That's weird, isn't it? I thought, you said that they know it. And then you say that it's surpassing knowledge. Well, you know, how many levels down does that love go? Where are you? What level are you on? You know, because there's, there's always more levels to go down in that one. Let's finish off uh, in this book. Can you go to the uh, book of uh, Jude? Been hanging out in this one the last week. Just one chapter in Jude, just before Revelation, uh, the book of Jude is. It's an amazing intro to the book of, uh, book of Jude. Someone want to read Jude 1, the first verse for me. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Who knows they need to be kept? <laughs> you do, right? we're not very good at keeping ourselves but let, let me just pull you up just for a sec it's great to be kept right but don't go getting passive about it okay don't go getting passive about it and what I'm saying here is, you, you tell me about any relationship you have where you don't stay actively engaged in it. How does it go? It doesn't work. All right? 
You might be actively engaged in it for a bit and you go, I feel really loved by and accepted by the other person. You go passive at that point and you stop being actively engaged in it, it's going to be the start of the end of your relationship. You have to do something to stay in the love. Can I put it that way? You have to do something to stay in the love. You have to be active. Now, God's love is way, 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 way stronger than yours, but there's a relational reality of you staying in it. You have to stay in it. And Jude knows this. So go down to, uh, toward the end of the book of Jude to verse 21. Can someone read Jude 21 for me? So what do you have to do? It's like, are you kept or do you have to keep in it? You know what the answer is? Yes. Yes. You have to stay in it. Like what relationship do you not have to stay in in an active way? It's a weird relationship if you don't have to stay in it. Come on, we'll look at one more verse. John chapter 15. Working you hard today. John chapter 15, verse 9 and 10. So similar, similar kind of concept, at least in verse 9 there, right? It's just like you've got to stay in it. Like, yeah, like there's this lavish love, but you've got to stay in it, right? And some of us... Probably when you get to verse 10, you just, that's a real letdown, right? Because you're just going, oh, I thought this was really good and that God was really loving. And maybe underneath kind of the subtext for us, it's like, I thought I didn't really have to do that much. And all of a sudden now you're telling me that I've got to obey all these rules to, uh, to stay in relationship and to get the love. So now I've got to earn the love. And it just, it all kind of starts to get really disappointing. Is, any, is anyone with me on that? You don't have to put your hand up, but you could just kind of give a little bit of a nod like, like that so that no one else could tell. Well, let me, let, let me just throw this your way to encourage you and to help you in that. There is not one relationship that exists on the planet of the earth that doesn't function by some basic relational rules. Every relationship has got rules by which it operates. One of them is what I've been talking about today. You can't do relationship with someone unless you go public with who you are unless you self-reveal. Now, you could go, well, I don't want to self-reveal. And I go, well, you're not going to have a relationship. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? That, that is a rule of a relationship. Let me give you another rule for a relationship, particularly relevant to married people. But I think it has application in other places. Faithfulness. You want to do a really, really tight intimate deep relationship where you just need to be faithful true like that's one of the rules that god says no other gods but me that's that's like a fundamental rule to a relationship don't don't have infidelities like when you look at what jesus is saying about if you love me, you'll obey my commandments and that's how you stay in his love. You just go, of course, duh. 
You would, wouldn't you? You know, one of the things with uh, marriage counselling, I've done a little bit of it, is just about everyone who comes in for marriage counselling who's in trouble thinks that what's happened to their relationship is just a dead set mystery, right? There's some kind of demonic things going on or so you just uh, pulling something in from somewhere. It's like, oh, I don't know, I don't know how this happened, right? But usually for me when I sit with them, and I don't mean it to, to be... Um, to be critical or sarcastic or judgmental about them, right? Because I love to help married couples, right? But usually in the first hour when I sit with a couple about what's going on for their relationship, I just go, yeah, okay. So you know what? This is more like maths than some kind of mysterious thing. Like you do that to a relationship and you do that and you'll get that. One plus one equals two. No relationship can sustain the stuff that you're doing to it. It always ends up like that if you do those kind of things to it. And I think that's reflective too of this obedience to God's commands. Now, is God God and does he call us to be righteous and holy like him? And is there like a massively, there's another whole massive layer on top of that? Absolutely. All right? Absolutely there is. It's more significant. But there's not one relationship that exists that doesn't have rules. So you... You could ask the question, and this is where I'll finish. Are you following his rules and staying in his love? So you know, you know what that means? Like it, it, here you go. <laughs> Here's another rule of, uh, of a relationship, right? You need to talk to each other. And, and listen to each other. Is everyone, is everyone cool with that one? Anyone want to push back on that one? Okay, you need to talk to each other and you need to listen. So, you should read the Bible. Because that's one of the primary ways that God talks. And you should talk to him. And you should pour out to him and tell him what's on your heart. You see that? Now, the scriptures are very clear that you should be doing those things commands to stay in love 